This is my best friend, Jen, and she sold and bought a house this week. I did do that. It was amazing. It was very stressful, but it was amazing. And now she's a millionaire. That is actually not true at all. That's okay. Yeah. I, it would be nice to be a millionaire. Yeah. It wouldn't be terrible. No. I don't know if it... That's interesting. I know. Anyway. Yeah. I was like, we don't need for. to do that. This is my best friend, Kelly, and she lost her passport for five hours yesterday. It was the worst. Okay. Seven so hours? Too long. Too long. Yeah. Enough to make you incredibly anxious. Really scary. So I'm going to Iceland in two weeks. By the time that this is airing, I will be in Iceland. And so I was getting ready, you know, trying to organize myself and then couldn't find my bag with all my important documents in it, Mm. which included my social security card and my birth certificate. Mm. You want to tell the people where it was? It was in the hidden drawer (laughs) in her desk. I have a secret drawer in my desk. It's my grandfather's old roll top desk, and one of the drawers has. Maybe I shouldn't say this. I can't keep all my important <laughs> stuff in there, but there's a secret drawer that has like a false back to it, and it was back there. Oh God! It's just so, we've all had that moment where we're like, if I put it here, I'll always remember that it's here. <laughs> no, you don't. Mm-mm. Nope, didn't remember that. Nope. I remembered it was in the desk, though. Mm. Yep. I can't believe you forgot the desk had that. I haven't ever used it before. That was the first time I ever put it in that spot. Usually it's in the middle <laughs> drawer of the desk. <laughs> it's usually in the center part of the desk that's okay, normal. Okay. When you come home from Iceland, where are you going to put it? In the center drawer I of the think desk. <laughs> yeah. I think if we all voted, that's what we're voting we're going for. back to the original spot. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Lord. I keep important documents in that are small in my jewelry box. Oh, I looked through three different jewelry boxes that were empty. <laughs> didn't have anything in them and then one jewelry box that did have stuff in it and so of course then ADHD is like oh, look at all these old jewelry things that I forgot <laughs> about I'm like I have this emerald ring and this ruby ring I'm like why am I not wearing any of this anyway what a day you had it was wild I thought buy- selling and buying a house was exciting no not compared to you would have much rather been doing what you were doing but anywho so what are we discussing today? We are discussing religious wounds. Yes, and deconstructing some of those things that yes. religion may have wounded in you. Yeah, I feel like deconstruction is a little bit of like a buzzword right now, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's a bad thing. Nope. I think, I mean, in real, in reality, that's what we're doing pretty regularly in therapy is deconstructing lots of Mm-hmm. previously held beliefs, understanding how they impact us negatively, yeah, et cetera. One of my clients recently, um, I've been seeing her for a long time, two years, maybe, maybe longer. And um, this past week, she said something to me of like, I guess that's just my religious wound. And I didn't even know that was a thing until the first day I ever saw you. And you said that. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. She had never said that to me in all this time of like, yeah. I never knew that's what that was until you put a like the phrase to it. I love when clients mm-hmm. repeat back to us stuff that we say mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, that person sounds like they know something uh-huh. or that person sounds like they don't know anything. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. It's nice to be reminded of that you're teaching people things mm-hmm. or just putting language that they hadn't heard before to their experience. So For sure. Mm. So when we say religious wounds, what are we talking about? What does that mean? Um, uh, well, religious wounds, religious trauma, usually I say wounds because saying trauma can feel a little bit jarring for people. Um, but usually it's, 
in most cases, in my experience with clients, it's this idea of the expectations that organized religion has put on you, or maybe even a lot of times the vehicle in which it gets to you is through your family. Mm -hmm. And so these like standards and expectations that you have not been able to quote unquote meet, um, and then the disconnect that that kind of creates between like what it means for you to like live authentically versus what this religion says is like appropriate. I also think it's important that <clears throat> to state that we're not all only talking about religion, but also the institution, like so yeah. a specific church or other place of worship. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be christianity specifically but it can be the specific church that you went to Mm -hmm. or attended Mm -hmm. so um we're talking about all of those things yeah so whatever those standards are that are basically like this is the recipe for you being a good person a worthwhile person whatever that is and then that messaging getting systematically reinforced throughout a period of time that then creates negative self-talk and core beliefs of like, I'm not good enough. I'm going to hell. Something is wrong with me that like just is rooted in your shame story. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that the biggest, like most common, I guess, um, kind of consequence of religious wound stuff is shame. Like, Oh yeah. That issue of in this on the list for later down, but like morality and, Mm-hmm. you know, worthiness and all that kind of stuff. So um, one thing that I'll say as part of this discussion is that I am what I call a recovering Catholic. We were both raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just speak for myself on that. So that is one of the perspectives that I'll be coming from when I talk about some of these things today, um, which I also think is a helpful practice for me to have a discussion about things and not I don't know, maybe that's contradicting what I just said, but like, how can I have these? Cause I think something that I have to try to keep in mind with clients is a lot of my clients come to me because I am specifically not religious, Mm -hmm. but I do have some clients who are religious. And so being able to allow the space for them to have that be part of something that's important to them in the therapy room. Um, And so it's good practice for me to be able to talk about some of those things without necessarily always putting my stuff in it. But I do want to, let our, we're not doing therapy right now. We're doing conversation mm-hmm. about this. And so letting the listeners know that that's one of my perspectives that I'm bringing to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most people find me because they're looking for a liberal therapist mm-hmm. um, and living in the Bible belt. People needing a liberal therapist keeps me very busy, but, um, and most of my patients come to me with some level of religious wound. Um, and I think that's mainly because I see people in the queer community and the kink community. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have been, <laughs> if you're local to the area in which we live um, and you're adult, like where you're at now in your life, your values, a lot of times with the people I see don't align with the values that they were raised with. So we're doing a lot of kind of deconstruction of that, of, okay, what were all these things that you were taught and were messages that you received versus where are you at now? And some of those things we have to reconcile, but also not all of my clients are like, blah, I'm not a religious person anymore. Some of them are like, how do I find my way back to a higher power and a faith-based practice or community without it being the one that I was raised in? Mm -hmm. And I think that's even harder than people who are like, I now identify as atheist or something like that. Oh yeah. It's much easier. That's something that I'll kind of relates to what I was saying. It's a lot easier to be like, I don't believe in that than it would be to 
try to believe in some of it. And that's something mm-hmm. that I really appreciate conversations with my mom is because my mom is still practicing and I wouldn't, I don't know. I won't say how, if she's devout or not, that's up to her to say, but we have some interesting conversations and I have to try hard and I need to do better about respecting some of her mm. stuff. I tease her sometimes and that's not very nice, but um, because she has a lot more like political kind of leanings mm. towards what I do that are in conflict with some of the religious stuff. And so talking to people how to navigate that like yeah yeah how do you say that you like support pro choice but then you are also catholic like that's a conflict so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which i think a lot more people are figuring out some of that stuff about what about this applies to me and my belief system and what of this can i i don't know have more autonomy with or make flexibility yes yes <laughs> Which is rough. It's interesting because, like, as someone who was raised Catholic and who my family was not very devout by any means. And a lot of the ways that that came up in conflict for me was being someone who was not part of any of the churches that any of my friends went to. Mm-hmm. And how, in my experience, people that I interacted with in the South were mainly Southern Baptist people. And in my experience, (laughs) um, a lot of the things that they would tell me was that if I was Catholic, I was going to hell. Mm -hmm. And I was so confused by that because I was like, "Um, but I, but I like Jesus. Like, I know. Is it not the same Jesus? (laughs) I didn't really put this together until kind of recently, actually, Mm -hmm. that like within Christianity, people think that you're still not. Yeah. Christian. The right religion. Yeah. So it's very, yeah. that was very, I was having a conversation actually with a client and when I had that, mo- I was like, oh shit, like this is, oh, weird. It was yeah. a very strange thing to be thinking about because no one had ever said something like that to me before. Oh, I see. I've heard that said to me a lot. And in fact, when my husband and I were getting married, um, we wanted his uncle to marry us because he's a minister. And um, I was like fine with that. Cho- I mean, we made the choice that we were not going to be getting married in a church. My husband was raised um, like Baptist. And so we made the choice like, no, we're not going to get married in a church. But we did reach out and, and ask him to marry us. And one of the... <laughs> Baptist like Southern Baptist or Baptist like neutral? Ba- I don't know what the... Um, I feel like Southern Baptist is a specific thing compared yes, to other Yes, I think things. it was... I would say Travis was raised more Baptist and then his uncle who married us, I would say more Southern Baptist gotcha. leaning um, from just my perception of those things. But I remember we the first time we met to talk about what do we want the ceremony to look like? And we had a lot of very specific thoughts about like, we don't want anything said about marriages between a man and a woman. No, we do not want that said. We don't believe that. We don't want you to say that. But um, the first time we sat down and met with him and his wife, Travis's aunt was there and she's a you know, a, a pastor's wife, a pastor's wife and a kindergarten teacher. So just, you know, put that into personify that place. <laughs> Your stereotypes, however you want to personify. Um, and she had said, Jennifer, we just have to ask you, are you, are you saved? And I was like, Oh my God, what? Um, and then at one point, Travis's uncle had said to me, don't worry, I'm not one of those Baptists who thinks that all Catholics go to hell. And I was like, okay, good. <laughs> like what is happening? Oh my gosh. Uh, but I just, I had so many wounds from that of yeah. being like, okay, I felt like I was in the Christian club and I'm not Christian enough for these people and feeling so confused by that. And also just being like, I, I don't get this and it's not something that I actually want to put energy into caring about. Mm-hmm. So 
Mm. I'm I'm surprised but glad you never had those experiences. Well, I, I may have and just don't remember them either. <laughs> but my issue, and maybe this can kind of lead on to like we have a list of different types of wounds, and I think that one of the primary issues that I've had is the hypocrisy piece of things. Mm-hmm. And so the idea, especially with Catholicism, because very strict rules, right? Like mm-hmm. that's one of the things that my mom really likes about it. And I think you've said this mm-hmm. before too, of like you could go to mass anywhere in the world and you like no one to stand up, no one to sit down, no one to mm-hmm. kneel. And if you've ever been to mass, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> changing position in that way. <laughs> it's very active. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little aerobic workout. Um, but the, the rules are pretty clear cut. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing my confirmation, so the way that Catholicism works is you're baptized when you're born. Cause if you're not and you die, you go to hell, apparently. Um, then think, you... Well, yeah. Go ahead. I think you go to purgatory. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, see, look, I don't even yeah. know. <laughs> Catholics <laughs> out there correct us. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, my understanding of it was you go to hell. So that's, I think, important is like every... That's a big part of it for me was either you do this or you go to hell. Like it was a very fear-based kind yes. of, you know, experience. Um, but you do baptism and then you do your first communion, which is... Communion is when you eat the body and blood of Christ, mm-hmm. and Catholics believe in transubstantiation, which is like you're actually changing into the body, body and blood of Christ. <clears throat> and then you do your confirmation, and that's mm-hmm. like in high school. And we had to do community service, but it was like in the church kind of community service, mm-hmm. and I made rosaries with all the little old ladies. And all they did the whole time was talk shit about everybody in the church. <laughs> and I was like, this feels very strange confirmation is like when you are committing that you are going to be yeah. a Catholic, which ironically <laughs> I don't think the last, it time I, <laughs> last time I ever went. Um, but I, I, it really stood out to me of how hypocritical that mm-hmm. was like, I'm supposed to be here, you know, committing to God and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm a person who I'm for the most part will follow rules. If I think that the rules make sense, mm-hmm. but if it's a dumb rule, I have a really hard time with that. Yeah. So the hypocrisy piece was the part that was really hard for me mm. on top of lots of other things later on that I've since deconstructed a bit, but mm-hmm. that was the, like the thing that turned me away initially. Yeah. Which I think that for a lot of people who have left organized religion, that's the piece of it mm-hmm. of these rules that are related to the, re- to the religion itself or what, or the church itself, whatever that is. But then people, kind of doing that thing of I'll do whatever I want throughout the rest of the week. And then when I go to church, somehow that absolves me of these things that I've done. And Well, and with Catholicism, you do confession. And so it's literally like, you just have to be sorry, which I actually kind of like that aspect Mm -hmm. of it. But I also think that it can be misused. And then we'll get into this later, but all of the abuse and all of that kind of stuff that went on within that institution is just Mm -hmm. couldn't take it. Yeah. Yeah. Which all that is so hard. And I tell a lot of my clients, this and and I let them know like this is kind of my perspective on this and I hope that there's something healing or helpful in me like giving you this feedback but you can have like your faith right like this is what I believe in and wherever that comes from and then to me religion is how we get to practice that faith Mm -hmm. and so within that maybe you create some of your own rules like I mean, I have a client right now who she's actually Catholic and her mom is extremely devout. And the more that her mom like goes into the tunnel of Catholicism, like goes down the rabbit hole of it and she learns these things, it's like she becomes stricter and stricter and stricter where it's like, it's not enough to go to church once a week. It's not enough to go twice a week. Well, now you have to wear this when you go to church. And it's like, at what point 
are these rules <laughs> and these expectations just almost nonsensical? Because if you have to do it that correct, quote unquote, correct, then I don't think anyone stands a chance. Mm -hmm. And is that really the belief system that you have about what it takes to get into heaven, what it takes to be a good person, to be a good practicing person for the religion that you associate with? Like, that makes it me feel like none of us have a chance then. And surely that's not the, what we believe. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that to the person. Like, right, surely right. that's not what you believe. No, but I'm just yeah. thinking like, oh my, like, think about the the wider, more global message of that is like, oh my gosh. Well, and I do want to say that this is a sidebar, but my ADHD threw this thought in there that we'd like to acknowledge that we know that there's other religions besides Christianity yes. that exist in the world. But we both know a lot more about mm-hmm. Christianity, and that's the wider range of our um, practice, like mm-hmm. pe- exposure with our clients and stuff. So we're not trying to leave anybody out, but also I don't want to speak out of turn on things, but mm-hmm. um, so I said that because I think one, of, another one of the things and this kind of goes with the hypocrisy stuff is that like from a perspective of how you practice a religion, like Jesus seemed like he was pretty chill and loving and caring. And mm-hmm. like, I could get on board with a lot of the mm-hmm. stories about him and, you know, the messaging behind that and all this kind of stuff. Um, but that is not how I was seeing things practiced. Like most yeah. of, most of what I, like I said earlier, it was like do this or else you go to hell. Versus like do this so you can be more like Jesus because he mm-hmm. was a good guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah. So one of the things let's talk about like the different common kind of wounds that we see. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest ones, especially being you know trauma focused kind of therapists, is that we see a lot of stuff related to sex, sexuality, purity, culture, Mm -hmm. um, and the morality that goes in with that. So how are some of those things showing up in your office? Do you think? Um, I mean, well, definitely with me, it's, it's all of those things because I see a lot of people who are part of the queer community who have come from very religious households and how, a lot of the times that kept them from even understanding their like their own sexuality and their own authentic selves. And one of the things that I talk about in session with people who, who are not heterosexual is like, when did you come out to yourself? And a lot of times people are like, Oh my God, like, I don't know. I've never considered that. And just like, what was that journey between kind of understanding what that meant for who you were attracted to and then like making that kind of connection with yourself of like, okay, this is how I want to identify and describe my sexuality. Like, and for so many people, they were like, well, I started having these inklings of these things and and understanding it, but I knew that that was wrong. And so for so many years, they kept themselves right. They were trying to conform to a religion and things like that because they thought they were bad. They thought they were, you know, like that's the, the real severity of their shame story Mm. and how that, and how for so long that that kept them stuck. The thing that you just said, when you said, I knew that that was wrong. That's the Mm. thing that like stood out to me the most about knowing something is, Oh God, that just like broke my heart for people. This idea of I'm just being myself and myself is wrong. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then having to come to this, I like, how do you come to a realization for yourself 
that, and maybe, I don't know, some people maybe don't do this, but um, a lot, the majority of my clients come to a realization of like, no, I think that I can be a godly person and have beliefs that are rooted in Christianity and like, and I can still not be a heterosexual. And like, I actually, maybe that's okay. And I'm going to live my life as if that is okay, because that's what I'm going to choose to believe. Because I don't think God's going to be like, oh, this whole thing about you wanting to love someone in a way that feels most real to you. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, like what powerful work that is. But also, like I talk about with a lot of my clients, like being a queer person means you have to come out so many times in your life. And it's not just to different people as you meet them. It's, you know, there's the coming out, like if you come out to your family and then there's coming out when they actually see you practice, like the application of that, like now you're seeing me dating someone of the same sex or someone who's non-binary or whatever that is. And then you see this happen, like that other people are always having to like kind of watch the evolution of this happen. And a lot of times whenever that continues to happen there, there can be a lot of shame dialogue happening and, and how difficult that is. Cause it's not like you come out and then people find acceptance or don't, and then you just move on. It's like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. That's rarely or or if ever does that happen. Mm. That's so hard. Yeah. I'm just letting that soak in a little mm-hmm. bit because I have some queer clients, but not a ton. And I think it's a, it's a helpful reminder. It made me think of just one client who I know listens to this, but she went to a really religious institution local to us. And um, she, <laughs> Jen's drinking coffee. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, in case anybody was wondering that it wasn't our bones cracking with ice cubes. Um but she specifically sought me out because I was a non-religious therapist and like that was an issue for the school that she went to because they told her that she needed to find a religious therapist. But I'll never forget that she said this to me because um, part of our work was around faith stuff and all mm-hmm. of that. And she said that something that really gave her a lot of permission was to like see some flexibility in things was mm-hmm. um, that if a person like me was supposed to go to hell based on my beliefs that she couldn't mm-hmm. like that she wasn't going to accept that. And I was like, oh my God, that's so meaningful to me, but oh my God, no uh, kidding. Um, and how that kind of helped give her permission to explore some of these like ways mm-hmm. that things are different. And you know, that mm-hmm. included sexuality and all this It is just, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but mm-hmm. that was just an experience that yeah. was meaningful. Well, and I think that's the other piece of like, and I say this a lot to people of when, someone is faced with something and they don't have a point of reference to it. And y'all have heard me say this on here, I believe of like, that feels scary or wrong or threatening to them. So when a, a someone who is deeply religious then has a child who isn't, or there's something that feels threatening about their choices or their value system, as opposed to the religion, like a lot of people, like they don't have any reference for how to handle that or what to do. And that makes it so difficult. And I'm not saying that as an excuse, but I think that's why it's so important for like the example you just gave with your client of like, you have to seek out those things. And one of my clients who I'm newly working with, she was talking about how, and she's a 30 something year old female. And she's like, I'm still dealing with the fact that I'm not a heterosexual woman and what that means for my family. And I've had to set a lot of boundaries of like, it's not my job to teach you these things. Mm -hmm. Like you have a daughter who is not straight. You need to go figure out how to navigate that. That's Mm -hmm. not my fucking job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, I can be here and help like 
support and affirm some of those things, but like you need to go see someone or you need to go read a book. Like I'm not going to sit here and do that for you. And which is true about every marginalized group. Yes. Across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. And that's another thing of like, I think her, her mom is attempting to do some, something good of like, Oh, I need to like learn more about it. And it's like, okay, yeah, but that's your responsibility. Like, it's not my job to be like, let me Amazon you a bunch of books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and also like do your due diligence to not collect that information Mm -hmm. just from your one place. That's going to tell you that I'm wrong or bad or whatever. Um, so I think that this is, it's a good segue into something that I see a lot with clients is some of the consequences of purity culture stuff, Mm -hmm. which is connected with sexuality as far as, you know, being queer or straight or whatever, but also Mm then, um, sex itself and Mm -hmm. body image and goodness or badness and all these kinds of things. And, you know, as a person who does a lot of trauma and like a relationship and attachment trauma work, um, something that I talk with a lot of clients about is like, what did you learn about your body growing Mm -hmm. up specifically females? Um, and you know, nine times out of 10, it comes up that like, I'm responsible for the sins of men. Mm -hmm. If I look a certain way or modesty is important because again, I'm responsible for the behaviors of other people and all this kind of stuff. And so the messages that go into all of the, (laughs) there's so many things that go on Mm -hmm. the list of stuff that's wrapped up with that. But, um, that's one way that purity culture shows up as far as, and that's not what it's called necessarily in Catholicism. Like purity isn't something that I heard a lot, but it was definitely mm-hmm. the message of, at least in my experience, like mm-hmm. wasn't about being pure, but the idea of like sex before marriage and you know all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Um, it's definitely part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's hard living in the place that we do. And if you've served young people by any means and them understanding that like, what they've been taught is abstinence based and how they're missing information and then how that missing information becomes a consequence to their actions sometimes Mm -hmm. of like, Oh my God, I didn't know if you don't teach kids about (laughs) safe sex, they're not going to know about safe sex. And so then they're going to make decisions based on a lack of information and they're going to get in compromising positions And I've had to serve some young teenage girls who were like, oh, I didn't know this until after the fact, until I had a pregnancy scare or I had a this. And then them feeling not just uninformed, but not protected, Mm -hmm. like by either their family or by their church or like, oh, my God, I feel like I was manipulated, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which of, of course you would feel that way. And now I'm suffering something where now people are going to have a pretty severe opinion about something when I didn't know the difference to begin with. Like, how do I do the right thing here when I don't have all the information? Yeah. Especially when they're also like timing these conversations about purity and sex and all that kind of stuff around when kids hit puberty and all they can (laughs) think about is sex. And it's that idea of like, tell me not to think of a pink elephant. And all I can think about Mm -hmm. is a pink elephant, but then also not how to interact with that elephant in a way that's safe. And I'm going to get trampled by it. And Uh, I saw this TikTok yesterday and it like, it made me laugh, but it actually is really sad. And it was a girl who was talking about um, how she, her period was late. So t- like she was very immersed in purity culture and her period was late and she'd never had sex before. 
uh, she never had like intercourse before, but her and her boyfriend had done like a lot of like dry humping and stuff like that. And um, she was like, my period's late. I think that when me and the boyfriend were like dry humping each, each other and he like came in his pants, like I must've gotten pregnant from that. So mm. she went to the store and she bought what she thought was a pregnancy test. It was really an ovulation <laughs> test. Oh, no. And so it told her like, yes. And so she thought she was pregnant. <sighs> and then she goes to the doctor and they're like, no, no, you're not. Pre-. But she had no idea about any of those things. And she's like, okay, it's funny looking back now, but like, that's, that's an really experience upsetting. that's yeah. completely rooted in what we're talking about right now. Oh, gosh. That's so concerning. I heard something else kind of similar to that recently, too. I feel like it was in a book that I was listening to, a memoir of something, but it was somebody wondering if they were pregnant and they had never had sex before. And it was just like, oh, my God. Like, oh, it's so concerning. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But that, I mean, and that may sound, I think, far-fetched for some people, like if that has never been your experience, but that is the experience of I mean, not that exact one, but just that that piece of like really not having information about your own body and what you do with it or can do with it with someone that you care about. Like those are situations like that happen because of that. It was a book I was listening to. It was the book Educated by um, Tara Westover. Mm-hmm. And she was raised more like very strictly Mormon. And um, she, it was getting lots of feedback from the men in her family about like the word whore was used around her a lot mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And then, so yeah, she wondered if she was pregnant because of some thing that she obviously wasn't pregnant from. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's what that was. Thinking yeah. of. Um, and also just how that connects. So not only sex, but gen- then just your presence in your body and your feeling mm-hmm. of autonomy and the idea of consent and all of these different things being a, something that you don't even really hear about, but if you do hear about it, it's in a context of, like, you are responsible for the sins of other people. And, mm-hmm. like, part of, at least in Christianity, some of the messaging that you get is, like, that you're supposed to bring other followers to Jesus. And mm-hmm. so this idea of not only not bringing people to Jesus, but being responsible for their sins is really, mm-hmm. really problematic for lots yeah. of different reasons. Well, I think a lot of times religion is the first thing that sexualizes someone's body, mm-hmm. like for a female, right? Of like, I have to, I'm walking around in this completely sexualized thing that, and I didn't ask for that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ask for this responsibility that mm-hmm. is a completely fictitious responsibility. And what does that mean then for people? Mm-hmm. Oh. And so then that relates with another common wound that is related to patriarchy type of stuff mm-hmm. and just this idea of. <sighs> gosh so many things spe- specifically in catholicism like mm-hmm. women not being allowed to do much of anything other than mm-hmm. sing in, in the like prof- professional in the like organized institutional mm-hmm. space um and men being the top of the food chain i mean oh, oh god mm-hmm. i'm gonna get a little frazzled talking about she it i activated, think activated y'all <laughs> just this idea like everything is based on the hierarchy of men being at the top and how that is trickling down to all sorts of different areas, whether it's parenting or making decisions in your home or choosing to be a single person or, you know, not choosing to be a single person, but still being a single person and all of this kind of stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. And that is something that I see with like my like 30 something clients who have been raised in religious households where they're like, I am single and I have a career and I'm trying to buy a house, but like, there are a lot of opinions, opinions and messages around me about like, why am I trying to be so independent? And it's like, 
well, I don't really have a fucking choice, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? I'm not actually like choosing to be like, it's fine that I'm single, but but I'm not like saying I don't want a partner. Like I'm just trying to live my life and make the best decisions for me. And suddenly this means like these things and well, man's not going to want you if you're that independent. And that those are the things that can be really activating for me with clients, like from a feminist perspective. And when you were just saying that, that thing about what women are allowed to do within the institution of Catholicism. It just reminds me of this couple that I worked with. This is like the same, but not this couple I worked with like 10 years ago where we were having this discussion about like, what could you do to better support your partner? And this gentleman had very traditional values. And so when I said, what could you do to, you know, better support your partner? He said, I could buy her a mop. (laughs) And in that moment I was like, never been more suicide. So I've never been more homicidal in a session before, but just that idea Mm -hmm. of like, that was his value system Mm -hmm. of like, okay, yes. Like very patriarchal based of like, I bring home the bacon. She fries it up in the pan. Like this is what's happening and being like, we're in this session right now because her needs are not being met in the relationship. And Mm -hmm. like, that's an unhelpful thing. And well, and then the, the consequences of that, if, especially if the, woman also like has all these same traditional beliefs is that something is wrong with her because she's not happy with the way that things are. Yes. And it's like, no, she's not happy because she's being treated like shit, but she's not allowed to acknowledge that she's unhappy because she's been treated like shit. Cause then she's going to go to hell for it. Oh yeah. Well, and that was the dynamic in that relationship where (sighs) she, I remember her like being visibly embarrassed by that comment being made, but like, but that was true. Like he, she didn't have a, she was someone who worked in the home. Like she was a homemaker and you know, the understanding in the relationship was that's your job. You don't get to have a job outside the home. And, and yet her being dissatisfied by that was creating so much internal conflict for her, but conflict in the relationship and exactly what you just said, like something's wrong with me that this isn't good enough for me because everyone else in my family, this is the the dynamic and everyone else within the small community I live in, that's the dynamic. And it's like, oh. well, and it's not even that there's anything like you can be fully satisfied by being yeah. a homemaker. It's the fact that her husband said that, <laughs> like oh. the way that he presented the thing I could do to help her is to buy her a mop. Like maybe to say thank you for cleaning the house. Like it's not about not letting her do other things or whatever. Yeah. It's like maybe she wants to be a homemaker. That's fine. But like treat her with respect. Well, but I think that that also that very much spoke to or at least my perception at the time that that really was his per- perception. Yeah, of like his all partner. he can do is yeah, buy he, things for her, and she. Well, but also to be like, you are here to serve this household. Like to triggered him, <laughs> a, a mop was an actual gift, and I mean we don't need to get right, into this yeah. anymore. But all of that was really based in in these things that we're talking about, and I remember them being like. I'm not going to say they were, well, they were like a church going family and like, and I know that that was a part of all of that messaging. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing that I saw. I experienced within the therapeutic space. Well, I think that that's a challenge as a therapist, especially one who has my own thoughts and beliefs and religious stuff coming up is like, how do you support someone in continuing to participate in mm-hmm. something that's important to them? if that is conflicting with what their goals are, right? So like Mm -hmm. if their goals are, I want to, you know, be more independent or manage my anxiety better or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if part of your anxiety is that you are 
not good enough. Like I would say from a core belief perspective, people who have come from religious backgrounds or whatever often have the core belief of I'm not good enough or I'm bad. Like Mm -hmm. those are the two kind of main ones. And it's like, how do you help someone resolve that I'm not good enough or I'm bad while they're staying in the lifestyle that is telling them that? And that's a really tricky thing. Honestly, I think the first thing to challenge that is like, well, according to those standards, no one is good enough. Mm -hmm. Everyone is bad. Mm -hmm. So I think some like for me, sometimes that's the first thing I do to challenge that. Now I feel like I want to get into deconstruction stuff. So let's table that. Um. (laughs) Or we can go there. I mean, I feel like we kind of we have 20 minutes, so it's up to you. I mean, I don't know. Go go towards deconstruction. <laughs> um, so because that's kind of with this bottom part too. Yeah, taking yeah. Really long um, Kelly, when I say deconstruction, <laughs> what comes to mind? How do you kind of define that for like your clients? Well, kind of how we people? started at the beginning about this idea of like let's understand what are the messages that you're getting from whatever systems you're participating in and understanding how that then becomes an internalized belief about Mm -hmm. yourself. And then let's challenge those things and see if there's space for something else to also be true or Mm -hmm. something in conflict with that to be true. Um, And how do you get to take what you want from these things and leave the rest? Mm -hmm. Um, What serves you, what doesn't all of that. It's really just like an understanding. And I guess connecting the dots is a thing that comes to mind, but also that meme of like Charlie from it's always sunny with the wall and the red strings and like Mm -hmm. figuring out how all this stuff is connected to each other and then figuring out like, where can you make some changes? Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, I love doing any kind of deconstruction work, whether it's relationship, whatever it is by like just starting with messaging and the values. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, having someone do an inventory of like, let's make a list and like quite literally write it down so we can see it in front of us. Like make, let's make a list of all the messages that you ever got from whatever we're talking about. So in this sense, your religion, right? So like women can't have, you shouldn't have sex before marriage. Women are sexual beings. Women are like blah, 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 blah. Um, So let's, let's make a list of all of those things. Okay. Now let's make a list of like, what are your beliefs and values right now? And then kind of cross reference Mm -hmm. it of like exactly what you're saying. Like let's connect the dots between like what things make sense. And then what things do we have to reconcile? And do we find flexibility in that of this is what I've always been said, what has always been said to me, but this is what I think I really and truly believe. And like, okay, like where's the, the discrepancy there. And sometimes it's not as large as we might think it is. And like, how can we um, almost do two handed, mm-hmm. right. Of like, okay, I can have this idea in this hand and this one in the other. And how do I bring those two things together? Or do I not, do I say, well, this is a piece of my religious background or my upbringing that I'm going to make the choice to not accept. Well, it's also really interesting. Cause I think that so much of what we want to do naturally as people, and then also what is taught to us by lots of different systems in this context, religion, is this idea of like we want things to be black and white or oh, all yeah. or nothing. In reality, nothing really is. Mm-hmm. And so being able to do that dance of cognitive dissonance, right? Of like, okay, I believe this, but I also believe this. And these two things are in co- like direct conflict with mm-hmm. each other. So how can I do both? You know, this idea of like, 
this is a non-related example, but something that I've had conversations with clients before about like, I love animals, but I also eat meat. So like, how do I navigate that? Or, you know, I'm believe in, you know, no sex before marriage, but I also want to express my love with my partner physically, or I want to have sex for pleasure or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And like, how can it be both? And it's really, really hard to make space for that. Mm -hmm. The end of that thought. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else. Yeah. No. Well, and I think it goes back to that thing of like conflicting thing. You're like exactly what you said, I guess I'm just reframing Mm it. um, Say the same thing in a different way. Most things are gray. And I always tell people like both those things can live in the same place. Like they, They just can't like if you have been wounded by your parents and so you're like, wow, I really like love my mom, but I also understand that like she did a lot of fucked up stuff and maybe she's a good person, but not a good parent. Like, like sometimes Mm -hmm. that's something that people, a lot of people that I work with have to reconcile. And it's like, those two things can actually be true. And okay. Now, if we say I'm going to have some level of acceptance for that, that these two things can be true. Okay. Like instead of fighting the conflict, Mm -hmm. let's find acceptance for it and then figure out how do I make sense of that moving forward? Because what I think we get stuck in is the discrepancy Mm -hmm. is the dissonance. And we're like, ah, these two things, this is impossible. Everyone's telling me it can't be true. And it's like, what if we just maybe considered what if both are true? What, what might that mean? Like, let's sit in that, like, wow, what might that really mean to you? I think you're saying a a lot about lots of like relationship conflict, Mm -hmm. work conflict, friend conflict, all sorts of different types of conflict (laughs) of once you have, if you're digging into much into the, oh my gosh, how is it possible that both of these are true? Then you get into lawyer mode and are defending each Mm -hmm. side and getting even more entrenched in the, why the other side is false versus like, let's not even have the, like, let's just accept that they're both true and have mm-hmm. that be the starting point. Like just pretend for a second mm-hmm. that that can be the starting point because then that is where you can have those interventions that allow mm-hmm. challenging to those. But if you're yeah. not even going to accept that that is a possibility, you can't challenge any of those thoughts. Oh yeah. Which I think that happens all the time in the therapeutic space where people get so caught up in the how or the why. Mm-hmm. And it's like, one, even if we could answer the question of how or the answer of why, that might not even. That's when you say God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> but that's also just like, is that even the real answer mm-hmm. or the truest? Like, that doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like you're saying, like, let that be the starting point of it. Like, mm-hmm. let's throw that out out the door of just like, let's just say that is true. Go ahead. Oh, I thought you were about to say something else. No. <laughs> uh-uh. Full disclosure, we had to pause for a second, and so I disrupted Jen's train of thought. Ooh. What were your notes from the podcast that you're putting Oh, up? I was just thinking about how a couple of years ago I was working with a client, and we were doing really digging deep into faith deconstruction. Um, they had been just deeply ingrained in, in their faith and were going to a faith-based college, and they were on track to go into a career that was related to their faith. And then they started having a lot of experiences that were like, Oh, this is telling me this is not the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so one of the um, things that they kind of brought to me was that they were listening to the podcast, the liturgists, which is amazing podcast that really talks about how can you live your life more deeply, like entrenched in love and to decrease your level of suffering. And they talk a lot about faith deconstruction. So I had some notes from, the podcast that I just wanted to share. And um, one of those things was 
Like when is it, and I think this is kind of our job to figure out, but that idea of like, when is it trauma and when is it sin? And Mm. when is it both of those things? And like, how can that be something that we invite into our therapeutic space of maybe renaming some of that? And I'm not saying like calling it trauma and not calling it sin, but how can we kind of acknowledge that it's both of those things that when we're told that what we're doing is sin is sin is actually like that's us being potentially traumatized. And Man. what what <laughs> and what might that look that like? That really just blew my mind for a second. That mm. that is a really helpful point that I will use mm. this week probably. When yeah. is it trauma and when is it sin? Oh my god. Well, and that idea of religion tells us a lot of religion tells us that we have to earn our goodness that like we are not good worthwhile people not inherently good yes just just the way we are and so it's that idea of like do i have to earn my goodness like what are your actual beliefs around that of are you a good person are people around you good like how and what does that even mean (laughs) yeah and what would it be like if you got to determine that for yourself Mm -hmm. Um, and of course there's no way to do that without all the cultural things, all the isms that come into that. But like, what if you define that for yourself and, um, and unbecoming our not goodness, right? All, all those stories that tell us like that we're bad and, and how can we deconstruct those actual stories about, well, this was my actual experience versus this is what I was told. Mm. Um, which again is like stuff that happens therapeutically a lot, but what if we as the provider, the caregiver were doing that in a way that was intentionally based in, in the religious kind of trauma sphere. Um, sorry, I'm really thinking about that. Mm -hmm. That's a very helpful thing. Mm -hmm. I was going to give another name of a, um, resource. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Nadia Weber Bolt, or sorry, Bowles Weber is um, a Lutheran pastor and founder of House for All Sinners and Saints in Denver. She has a podcast called The Confessional, and she has written a couple books and stuff. Um, you know, she's tattooed and kind of edgy looking. <gasps> yes, um, I know her. And she's also a pastor, and she speaks similarly about the same kinds of like, how can we just the whole I, the thing that was best about. Jesus, as we understand him from the Bible stories or whatever, is how the undying like love and compassion and care for others. And so her approach is very similar of like, how can you be more loving? How can you be more aligned with that messaging rather than the kind of fire and brimstone Old mm. Testament type of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I think the piece that's also so hard, if we go back to those things of like, um, our attachment theory stuff and how important it is to be seen and seen as wonderful and all of that. I think what's so hard about some of these religious beliefs is that it's rooted in that idea of like your goodness is conditional. And so then that teaches us conditional love mm-hmm. and how people then will do whatever it takes for them to feel loved when I mean, I feel like my job in the daily is searching out unconditional love for people and tapping Mm -hmm. into that for people. Um, And so I think it's also that piece of like, I don't know that we realize that when we're, we're trying to teach our loved ones or our children or our communities, like how to be kind and caring people that a lot of times we're saying that if you right that what we're teaching them is that when you're not those things that you're 
that you're not worthy and that right. you are bad and all the things that we've already right. talked it's about. It's all the stuff that we are not saying uh-huh. with, along with the things that we are saying. Yeah. It's all this implicit messaging. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I hope that the religious kind of sphere moves more towards acknowledging some of those things of, you know, sometimes it's not what, sometimes what we say is a hot mess, but like sometimes it's not what we say. It's what we're not saying. And all these things that people are inferring and sometimes not even inferring, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a me- it's a mess. <laughs> I'm just having this thought about like, you know, we're talking about this topic from the perspective of religious wounds, but in reality, like this is how we would approach any wound. And so mm-hmm. I hope that if we have listeners who are religious, that they can practice this acceptance of like both mm-hmm. these things can be true and all that kind of stuff with the idea yeah. of like, when we talk about religious wounds, it's, helpful to use that framework because it's about institutional kind of Mm -hmm. stuff the culture and community that is like common amongst specific groups Mm -hmm. but also we do the same thing for like any other group right and so not to be the how i got to that thought was thinking about how religion can sometimes limit a person's individuality yeah and that a lot of times that's what people are coming to therapy to kind of figure out is mm-hmm. there, how do I exist as an individual in whatever systems I'm participating in? And so just thinking about like all these approaches for deconstructing things and all that kind of stuff is not specific to religion. It is just the framework that we're using to talk about it right now. Mm-hmm. And now I'm getting a little bit kind of tousled up how I do sometimes, but cause another thought I was having was like, I wish that I knew more about other religions to be able to, say more about Mm -hmm. that, but then also recognizing I don't actually have to know anything about the religion. I just have to know about the person's experience. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be specific to religion, religious wounds. And I, if I had a client who came to me from another religion, I would do my own research and try to learn about it and have that cultural competency. And, but depending on the situation, I might also refer out to someone who was better equipped to deal with it. But Mm -hmm. my point is, we don't have to know all this stuff about the religion to be able to help a person navigate the wounds. Oh yeah. Well, and sometimes I think it can, that's even more helpful because Mm -hmm. then it keeps you in a place that I think remains a little bit more objective because sometimes if you know a lot about the religion, then you might even right be coming in with your own Mm -hmm. biases and things like that. So yeah, it really is about that person's experience and helping find some healing within that. And I think using that framework of like, Christianity or whatever just helps us as the therapist be able to be like, here are some things that I can look for that are common within this group of like purity culture or Mm -hmm. masculinity stuff or patriarchy stuff or whatever it is. Like those are landmines that you can expect to be there, Mm -hmm. even though there are going to be millions of other ones that you don't expect to be there. So yeah. Yeah. Agreed. That's kind of where I was going with that thought. But Mm. um, as we're kind of nearing the end, I guess let's talk a little bit more if I don't even know if we have more to say about helping people navigate developing, like keeping what they can from something or exploring Mm -hmm. spirituality. And I guess maybe that's important. Like what's faith, what's religion, what's spiritual, Mm -hmm. what's what out of all those things. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you get to define those things. Like you really do. Mm -hmm. Even if you were taught that you're (laughs) That you're not allowed to or or that you can't or I mean, like you get to decide what those things mean to you. And a lot of times when I tell people like, take what you can and leave the rest, it's what resonates for you. Mm-hmm. If there is something that resonates like, oh, my like, hold on to that. 
And I know that like cancel culture and things like that tell us, well, if this person tell, says 10 things and I agree with nine of them, but the 10th one I don't, then that means I don't agree with that person. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right. All those things that resonated in that moment that it did like keep that and maybe also then expand or journal or reflect on, wow, why did that really like resonate with me? And maybe spend a little bit of time being like, Ooh, why did that not? Mm-hmm. And then just be like, okay, that part is not for me. Yeah. And what does it mean for me to be able to have both uh, of those things? Yep. Mm. Yes. And I know that that can be a hard thing, I think to practice because it's not something that we are like traditionally taught in any me, like with anything, like not just religion, but about like, I think how we consume like celebrity and mm-hmm. all those different things. And, and I would hope that y'all have heard lots of things that me and or Kelly say that you're like, Ooh, don't, don't agree with that. But that you just, you keep listening. Cause mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody has a threshold too of, and it could change from day to day, right? So, like, you talk about morality things, not necessarily religion, but, like, Amazon, right? I try oh. not to shop at Amazon for whatever reasons, but I got a delivery today that was from Amazon because there was something that I tried from two local stores to buy and couldn't find anywhere, so I mm-hmm. had to get it from Amazon. And, like, that's okay. I can accept the fact that I'm not perfect in that thing mm-hmm. and that it doesn't make me a bad person that I bought something from Amazon. Yeah. think it is more meaningful that it's even something that you're exploring instead of just blindly accepting or whatever. So yeah, yeah. applying that to other issues of what's my threshold for when I am willing to do or not do or accept or not accept or whatever. And that could change based on the circumstances. It could based on how much sleep you got the night before, if you had a mm-hmm. snack or not, you know, all these different things. Yeah. So. Well, and sometimes all the power is in the process, right? Mm-hmm. Of, like you're saying, I think the Amazon thing's a good example of like that you even are thinking in those ways and trying to make different choices when you can, like that's where the power is. Mm-hmm. And like, sometimes it's not about the result. We didn't really talk about this much, and we don't have a ton of time left, but it makes me think about, we have been talking about it, but we hadn't used this term, perfectionism, right? Mm-hmm. And like the idea of how perfectionism relates to religion and mm-hmm. all of these different choices of like, if I'm going to be religious, then I have to do it perfectly, mm-hmm. which means adhering to all of the rules, but you're already set up for failure because those rules are conflicting mm-hmm. with each other. And then inst- part of this work is like, how do we deconstruct and understand like that's an issue with the presentation of the information to us or the institution how they practice it not a problem with me yes the fact that i cannot do something perfectly because it's impossible to do it isn't because i'm bad it's because the system is bad or flawed Mm -hmm. or whatever so Mm -hmm. i feel like that was kind of repeating other things but Oh, no, I think it's still, I'm glad we're kind of ending in that thought. Well, and I also, like, I know this is maybe tongue in cheek to say, but like, there's no way that whatever, if you believe in heaven and whatever happens when you get to be admitted, (laughs) that they're going to be like, oh, you did all those rosaries and you went to all those masses and you did all these things, except on this one day you were hungover and you didn't go to church. So Mm -hmm. because that happened, we're we're going to give you a one-way ticket downstairs. Like I just, you guys, I don't, I don't think that's how it works. Uh, But if you do that, that might be okay too. Yep. Uh, Mm. I feel like we could talk for a long, a lot longer about all these things, but but we can't, we don't have time. And I also think we, we both mentally exhausted ourselves Mm -hmm. with, with this talk as well. I just want to like, just one final thing, please. Is that, I can't speak for you. I assume you feel this way too, that I'm not saying that 
all religion is bad or that it can't do anything positive for you. Like there are a lot of really positive things. I would also say that about anything that you choose to believe in or practice or follow, like how you were just saying, hopefully people will listen to us and be like, I don't agree with that, but I'll keep listening. Like we're trying to help you critically think about how things impact you Mm -hmm. and not saying that any of them are good or bad or what, because then we're just as guilty of doing the thing that Mm -hmm. we're trying to deconstruct so yeah agreed 100 percent. hit me with a joke okay i hope you don't know this one because it posted <laughs> recently if y'all are not following dad says jokes on instagram you are missing out um all right why aren't koalas actual bears i don't know because they don't meet the qualifications i was gonna say <laughs> something about quality control but yeah <laughs> koala i have heard that joke before but i didn't see it on dad jokes they haven't been popping up on my algorithm lately for some reason they hadn't been on mine either but yesterday um nicole and i were together and i told her that joke and she laughed it's funny it's a good joke i need you to laugh when i tell the funny (laughs) joke it's too late (laughs) it's too late i'm upset i'll do better next time please do (laughs) thanks for listening y'all thank you goodbye bye (laughs) 